0: On this week's podcast, we welcome a new special guest, none other than Tate O'Neill. He talks about his off-the-grid lifestyle, and he is candid about his successful and failed investments. He explains how a monkey ripped him off while visiting India, and the time when he shared vodka with Russian cops. He's an ambitious traveler and the proud owner of a Dutchman Classic. I hope you enjoy JP and I's conversation with Tate O'Neill. Hello and welcome to the Young Money Podcast. I'm Adrian and I'm JP and we have a special guest today joining us from Kingston the middle of nowhere <laughs> seemingly Tate O'Neill. How are you doing Tate?
1: Good thanks for having me on. So Tate do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about you and, and where you're at in life um, and yeah.
2: Yeah, sure. I can just summarize you where I am right now. Um, I'm living on uh, on an island, uh, Wolf Island to be specific, uh, on a family farm. Uh, I purchased um, a trailer about three years ago, inspired by tiny houses and uh, just alternative living and nomadic lifestyles. And uh, I've been living in it for the last three years, uh, while working at my family's landscaping business. Um, yeah, currently just on salary with them and uh, basically working seven months of the year and then traveling for the other uh, five months.
1: Cool. What, what is um, Wolf Island like? Just I have no idea. Is it like a, a small thing? Is there many people living on it or?
2: Yeah, so it's a family. Uh, sorry, like um, it's a family farm. We've been here for about, I think, since like the 1700s, like my family goes back. Um, it's just a small farming community, about 1500 people that live on the island. Uh okay. so everyone kind of knows everybody. And uh I grew up there for uh I'd say good half of my childhood, early childhood. And then I uh later moved into Kingston in the suburban area uh when my parents were in the military. And uh so I've kind of had a little bit of experience living uh the farm life and also the urban, suburban kind of lifestyle.
1: Okay, cool. Wow. How are your you, you said you mentioned your parents are in the army, like how are your parents um how did that affect the relationship with money like how were your parents growing up um how did your family perceive money when when you were first growing up
2: Yeah so like growing up um I'd say like in general my entire family is pretty entrepreneurial in different ways um I think when it comes to my parents uh specifically They uh, met and then uh, at an early age opened up a restaurant business and ran it for, I think, a good 12 years before they decided to sell it, and then later on joined the military. Uh, So I think, you know, even though they're in the military and stuff, they have had a history of owning and running businesses. Uh, Currently, like I said, I'm working for my uncle and aunt, who also are running a, a local mom and pop business. So, you know, growing up, I think all my family members I'd say were good influences and role models in terms of running, um, their own, uh, ways of, uh, making money. Uh, like my grandparents, like they all, they were all farmers and, uh, you know, it's a really hard, uh, stressful job. And, uh, then they later also, uh, bought signs and then were in the sign business down in the United States, uh, for advertisements on highways and things like that. And, uh, you know, just other various things like uh, a lot of my family members uh, are in the stock market and uh, invest and that's kind of like a more recent thing when it comes to me where I only started in 2017 and we probably go into detail a bit more about that experience. Uh, But, um, but yeah, so it, it was all really positive. And like when I was growing up at an early age, like I would mow lawns, babysit, um, you know basically do a lot of things uh basically at age 11 I started working um for like under the table things not uh, just helping local uh family members out and things like that
1: yeah wow it seems like you've got the like entrepreneurial spirit in your blood from from an early age
2: <laughs> yeah i think um they never really like forced us to do anything i think that's the one nice thing is that they never said i had to get a job or or anything, but uh, whenever I did want to, so to speak, follow in their footsteps and try to make something of myself, uh, they are always there to support.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, like, due to your entrepreneurial spirit, did you ever uh, come come across a really hard lesson that you learned about money, or? um and any important lessons that you learned about money whether it came uh <laughs> whether it came easily or with some difficulty
2: yeah like i think one of the biggest things like i think maybe i'll go back to like uh like when i started uh trading stocks uh in 2017 um i had just graduated university uh the spring and i started investing in the fall of 2017 my first stock was uh tesla stock I think I bought four and it was like, I invested like $2,000 into it or
1: maybe not
2: much. No, it was maybe four shares. I think they were like 235 bucks a share. Um, And I started buying uh, cannabis stocks because at the time uh, it was still illegal and had a lot of opportunity I saw. And I think... I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. I just kind of (laughs) was throwing money into it. And uh, I figured, well, I'll just sit on it and let it figure itself out. I was kind of confident in those two companies uh, or industries and uh, tech industries and uh, the cannabis industry. And uh, I kind of just rode those waves for a little bit bit, and then slowly kind of would take out my money. But I guess my point is, is that I um, have made some bad investments. I remember I bought... um, one company, Canopy Rivers, when it was at its IPO. So its initial public offering. uh, That's when a company goes public uh, on the stock market. And I think I purchased it at like $10 and a pretty decent amount of shares. And uh, needless to say, it dropped more than 75% and basically lost all my money. And it was kind of a hard pill to swallow to like see uh, you make a mistake. But I think that was the big lesson is that it's okay to make mistakes. Because when you look at your average returns um, over your diverse part portfolio you, you know you should try to aim for like a 10 to 20% growth and uh, fortunately I've been making those marks
1: that's awesome yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a tough tough pill to swallow I'm sure Adrian can can uh, empathize with that didn't you also get burned with with cannabis Adrian
0: I can also empathize <laughs> very very strongly uh, with would Tate. I I purchased uh, Canopy when it was, like, you know, I think, like, 40 bucks a share or something. And then and then it dropped down to, like, 30-something. And then I sold it. And then uh, Const- <laughs> Constellation just announced their... Uh, this was back in August last year. Yeah. And Constellation, ha- I think, and Constellation had just announced that they had, um, you know invested some million dollars in in uh in canopy and the stock just shot up right after i sold <laughs> and for like three days i was just numb like i was just <laughs> like... and i actually remember being in a meeting uh <clears throat> i work for a chemical distribution company and we're trying to get into the cannabis market like into the cannabis segment and for testing and all that stuff and the the we had a like a company wide meeting, and the um, and the vice president who was speaking was like, "Oh yeah, and Constellation in- invested all that money in cannabis. Wow, it's a crazy time for cannabis right now." And the whole time, I like, I was sitting in the <laughs> I was sitting in the freaking meeting, just like sick to my stomach. Like I, could, I couldn't even listen to it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it totally taught me a lesson of like, you know keep track of the trends keep track of the news make sure that you know you know what you're buying and stuff like that so
2: yeah i think that's the thing is i uh, the one lesson i learned is uh invest in what you know uh and i don't think i think people rush into trying to diversify their portfolio as quickly as possible by investing in all these different types of industries and stuff but don't Mm -hmm. really know what they're investing in it's just kind of on a whim and I think sometimes the better strategy is if you really do know something, it's sometimes better just to double down on what you know than to to expand too quickly just for the sake of saying that you have a bigger uh, list of companies you own. Um, but I yeah. think in general, like like you said, like, like what I learned from it was uh, that risk is okay and risk is gonna, you know, it's not necessarily gonna succeed. Uh, I think everything fundamentally in life is a risk in some way or another and an investment. Um, so like, you know, you invest money and time into university. You invest money and time into a, a career or a business or a mortgage or what have you, a relationship. And um, it's just kind of finding that risk reward level for yourself and whether or not it's worth investing in uh, your time and energy.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it all comes down to your ROI. And um, I, I think it's a great lesson uh, for anyone listening you know, to kind of learn from our mistakes, you know, so uh, that's, that's really awesome. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, no problem. And, really? uh, and I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, you're doing well, you're doing better on the stock market now. That's, <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah.
2: Like when it comes to canopy, I think I bought in at like $12 is my average share count, like average share price. And I think I mm-hmm. sold it when it was at 65 on average. Like I kind of it. Yeah. So I like, I basically six times my money on that, that company. So, uh, I haven't said they're all failures. <laughs> Some of them were really good, yeah. and uh, I um, don't have any holdings in any shares at the moment. I had sold them all uh, back in the fall, all my all my shares, and thank God I did because the stock market, you know, with the cold COVID situation and everything, absolutely really, uh, taking a bad direction. I was kind of anticipating a, a market crash in the next year or two, anyways. So um, that's kind of why I just kind of uh, turned all of my uh, earnings into cash and then I'm just sitting until I see better opportunity.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, speaking of, you know, when you're talking about, uh, ROI and like, just in terms of everything is a risk and what you put your, your money towards, what was your, um, sort of like first few jobs and your like educational, uh, background that sort of lay the groundwork for where you are now today? Like, um, did you go to university, um, were your first few jobs?
2: Yeah, so um like besides like the babysitting and mowing lawns and doing all that kind of stuff, I think my first real job was uh working for my family's landscaping business when I was 14 and then I kind of left after that and because it was seasonal and uh, started working at McDonald's and I worked through McDonald's through high school and then in university I uh went to uh for political science. I also worked at uh, the local movie theater while I was studying and uh That was uh, pretty good. Just making just you know minimum minimum wage uh, part time work, but it it helped uh, pay the bills. And then uh, after um, during every summer of university, I would come back to Kingston and work at my family's uh, landscaping business. So um, yeah, basically, I was uh, uh, what do you call it A, a movie theater worker during the winter at at school and in the summer I'd come back, stay with family and uh work for their business. And after university, I just went full-time uh working for uh the family business.
1: Okay, cool. Did you did you enjoy your like university experience and your degree like or did you sort of have some regrets?
2: No, like I don't have any really regrets. I mean, I haven't done um anything in terms of uh, a job pertaining to it, I'll admit. But I think it was definitely uh super beneficial in terms of just uh, my communication skills and writing skills. Um, It was political science. So I think I had a better perception of the world and um, understanding of more philosophical questions, I guess you could say, and uh, just in my self-development. And I think that's kind of what helped lead me to being more interested in uh, traveling and kind of set my values of what I care about and what I don't care about more. Um, I seem to be someone that, cares more about experiences uh than uh saving money in some ways uh and uh that might be a contributed to my uh university studies
1: yeah for sure when you're when you're talking about your traveling um what is it about the traveling that is so uh i guess such a pull to you
2: um i'd say like uh i've always been interested in the world so i started traveling um my first major trip was when I was 13 years old. My grandmother kind of came to me, and uh, she's a world traveler and uh, you know been to over 100 countries, uh, starting in the 1980s. And uh, she asked me if I could go anywhere in the world. Where would I want to go? And I chose Africa, and she she decided to bring me to Africa. So we went backpacking for two and a half months uh, at the age of 13. And I think that really fundamentally changed uh, my curiosity about everything. And I. Later on and when I was older, I knew I'd want to continue traveling and seeing the world and I think the university and learning about the world and cultures and different societies and how things work uh kind of snowballed the effect that uh that urged and bugged to travel so um I think it's kind of kind of a combination of university and family uh uh family interest,
1: yeah, nice. What was something? go go ahead adrian
2: (laughs) i I was just wondering like
0: being uh kind of a big um you know proponent for traveling um do you find yourself uh saving a lot for your travels or um you know what kind of things uh do you kind of you know try to cut out and be really stingy with when you're trying to save for travel versus um things that you know you spend money on even though you know um you know eventually you want to save up for this trip
2: yeah so um i've gotten into a pretty good system uh like i said like i work for a seasonal landscaping business so we start in uh basically mid april and then run all the way till end of uh, november and then the winter from november till april i get to travel so it's about 4 to 5 months i yeah, um, works out perfectly yeah it does and i get to get away from the uh the snow which is pretty sweet um Although the last trip I went to, I went to Mongolia and Russia, which was like minus thirty and went dog sledding. So <laughs> not really You uh, double
1: down on the snow and the cold. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Went a little little overkill on that. But uh, stick no, to what you know, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone was asking me, why are you going to Russia in the middle of winter? Um <laughs> <It was like, laughs> uh, no, I can tell you a little bit about how I break down my finances. Um, I think one way I save uh, for my travel is uh, I cut out the cost of uh, living, so I don't have any utilities, or um, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have rent because I bought the trailer. It's a 28 foot uh, Dutchman Classic, 2001. It's, uh, she's nice. She's a she's a boat, uh, but uh, she's really nice. And uh, I got my friend to uh, hook up s- uh, solar panels on it. Uh, And I invested about $7,000 all in all for that. And uh, I've been living in it for three years. And the way I looked at it was if I was paying $500 a month in rent, that's about $6,000 a year. Uh, And because I work full time, um, I work like 10, 12 hour days. I'm only at home for a little while. So I was like, why am I putting so much money into rent when I'm not using the place? So that's how I got into like tiny house and alternative living. And I, uh, decided to buy the trailer cause I didn't know how to build anything and I didn't have the time to do it. So, uh, that helps a lot. I basically, I'll tell you what my monthly expenses are. Uh, let me see here.
1: Just really quick. I'm just curious. How much is a Dutchman, uh, trailer? Like how much was that?
2: It was $4,000 for the trailer and then 3000 okay. for the floor setup. Um, it was, That's uh, bought you. Um, so yeah, so like basically I paid $7,000 up front, and I have a house. I have a home to live. Uh, yeah. Cost free. So, like, all I have to pay for is uh, I'll run you through the thing. It's uh, I have a school payment of two hundred and thirty-five dollars. My car and motorcycle insurance is one hundred and sixty. My cell phone is one hundred and sixty. I do have to pay a high cell phone bill because um, I don't have Wi-Fi. I can only pay for data plans. So I have a thirty gigabyte data plan for a hundred dollars, and then I also have sixty dollars to pay off my phone. Um, I have gas of hundred dollars budget. Food is usually about four to six hundred dollars a month. Uh and then extra things like entertainment, you know, Spotify, Netflix subscriptions and things like that, uh is about two hundred and fifty dollars. So on average I'd say on a low end I spend about thirteen hundred dollars a month to live, and then a high end fifteen hundred, and I can save about thirteen hundred to eleven hundred dollars a month, um, pretty comfortably. And so about say savings about fifty to forty percent of my Annual income or my uh, monthly income, and uh, when I travel because I don't have a rent uh, rent to cover, uh, while I'm traveling, the only home costs that I have to pay for is my uh, phone in, uh, phone plan, but I get that reduced to seven dollars while I travel because I'm not using it, and then my insurance plan um, for my car and motorcycle get that gets to, uh, reduced to reduced to one hundred and twenty. And then my school that I still have to pay for. So while I'm traveling, my bills at home are only $362. And wow. um and I'm I'm actually on salary with my, my job. So I get paid twenty six hundred dollars a month every month, no matter what. So um I can actually save when I'm traveling. It's my you know, while I'm actually on the road.
1: That's amazing. Have you ever thought of Airbnb your Dutchman while you're traveling?
2: Uh no, just cause it's uh you know it's got my stuff in it, and uh yeah am probably I'd have to have someone take care of it and clean it between guests and uh it's um very limited power, like I don't have a laundry machine, so I have to go to my uncle and aunt's place to use their laundry machine just down the road yeah. and uh so it'd just be too complicated uh but if I ever were to buy a property, it would definitely be for a rental investment or uh airbnb investment,
1: yeah, do you find that you get um like a little bit of cabin fever in the Dutchman or is this something that you've always wanted and like you're, you're comfortable in that, in that environment?
2: Yeah, good question. So like, for me, it's like, I have a hard time. If I have a full day and nothing to do, uh, I get really antsy. Uh, so that's kind of why I travel in the winters because, uh, because I have no work there's, I don't want to just sit at home for five months or four months. I like to do stuff. And, uh, so that's kind of a motivator for me to leave and and explore the world. Um, I do get cabin fever in some ways because I am by myself, uh, if I was by myself for too long, but because I'm working and, uh, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, you know, I just go home and shower, make some food and then basically go to bed. So it's, it's not much time to, uh, to, you know, just ponder oneself.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's that's really awesome that you that you travel so much. I think that I'm definitely on some level envious of that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you live a
0: very free lifestyle, which is like really cool and pretty alternative to I think what most people are used to of uh, the classic like, you know, have have a apartment uh, like uh for rent and they they go and do their groceries and they order food and whatever. Uh sounds like you definitely um have kind of an alternative lifestyle which you know uh is cool is cool to to have insight into right uh for those of us who live in uh suburbia
1: yeah it's like you you, you kind of live like the life of the guy from into the wild but if he had his shit together you know
2: yeah
0: don't eat any poison berries yeah don't do eat I. any <laughs> berries <blueberry laughs> while you're out there okay <laughs> <laughs>
2: no I um no I yeah you know it's not to say that it doesn't come with its challenges I mean I think uh like any uh being a homeowner for anybody there's repairs that has to be done and and maintenance and um you know every fall uh I have to uh, dismantle my solar system and store it and then uh and then reassemble it back in the in the spring and uh you know it's not like um like I don't have running water I just have the water tank in the trailer so I have to uh, usually lug water. So it's it's kind of, um, it's camping. You know, like I have an outhouse outside that I go to and uh, I have to boil water before I shower. I don't have internet other than my data fo- on my phone. I um, have limited heating. Like I have a little propane space heater that I use, but uh, it does get cold in the early spring and uh, late fall. So it's not a perfect system by any means. And I think you definitely have to be someone that, is comfortable with being uncomfortable uh quite often uh but i think i'm giving up very basic things for such so much more in in uh in in gaining like uh just having the experiences that i've had overseas and uh i wouldn't trade it for anything
1: yeah are you are you uh able just on the topic of the solar panels are you able to just use the electricity that you collect from the solar panels or are you still sort of tapped into the grid somehow in, in the summer months?
2: no I'm just completely off the grid so like um wow, that's so nothing cool. else yeah it's now that that being said um I only have four deep cycle batteries uh with a three thousand watt inverter uh two two hundred and seventy five watt solar panel uh the system uh can run basically one or two things at a time. Um, So I I use candlelight uh, to offset the power usage. So, Mm -hmm. and and also uh, flashlights and stuff like that and headlamps. Um, It Like, um, so I don't have to use that. And um, in terms of uh, watching TV and stuff, I don't use it. Uh, I use uh, portable DVD players uh, with portable screen. uh, And I just charge them up uh, while I'm gone at work. And then when I get home, I have unlimited TV and that I can watch. And, uh, so it's just, you have to You're be very single-handedly
1: supporting the DVD industry. Tate. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, literally, literally single-handedly. <laughs> no,
2: but, uh, you know, it's, it's a sacrifice and, uh, you have to be careful. Like if I run the, uh, um, you know, blow dryer, I can't vacuum, you know, or I can't, uh, yeah. You know, you just have to kind of one thing at a time and
0: uh... Tate's doing his hair
2: <laughs> while he's <Yeah>. cleaning the <laughs> cleaning his carpet. <laughs> the the,
0: okay. the fuse blows, he's like, damn it, not again.
2: <laughs> yeah. I know, I got it. Oh, I have ample amounts of extra fuses for my fuse box. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I bet.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um I I want to ask it and I'm wondering this like what is the if if there's one thing you can think of that you miss uh from uh you know living on the grid and being like a normie uh you know what would that be what, what what's something you maybe miss like a hot shower or
2: uh yeah probably you know you actually nailed it there I'd say a hot shower in some ways I shouldn't say that I have hot showers it's just I have to I think it, you know, you know what I'd say is a bathroom, a regular bathroom with a flushing toilet. Um, Because now I have a composting toilet, and uh, it's fine. It's just you know, it's an extra chore, and uh, you know, it's it's something that I'm comfortable with, and it doesn't bother me. But I think when I invite family and friends over for, you know, a get together, come over for a visit, I think it puts them off a little bit uh, to to use an outhouse and a composting toilet, and uh, it's just something I have to. Uh, explain and show people every single time they come is kind of give a bathroom tour of how to, how to, how to do your business. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of an awkward thing, I guess, in some ways, but (laughs) 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. What, I mean, now that now that you've mentioned it now, I'm just too curious not to ask, what exactly is so different about a composting toilet? Is it just an outhouse basically? Like you just, it's, there's no it's, flushing it's, or anything?
2: Honestly, it's basically just a bucket with some dirt in it. Um, oh, okay. So okay. I have, uh, I have like a, a shower, an out, outdoor sh- uh, tent shower. So okay. um, I do all my showering and stuff and I just use biodegradable soap so that it just goes into the earth and I don't have to worry about contaminating the soil. Uh, okay. And, uh, and then I just use the, I use the, the, it's like a, uh, a bucket and, uh, with some soil in it, some peat moss and, uh, you do your business and then you just put some peat moss on top and that helps cover the smell and helps break down, um, your waste. Uh, okay. and then after it gets full of the bucket, um, I go out really far into the, uh, back forest fields and dig a hole and then bury it about a few feet below the ground. So, um, it's just it's just extra steps, you know, like I think that, and also the heating of it, of the trailer, it doesn't retain heat. So in the summer it's nice and cool, but uh, during the early spring and late fall, it can get quite cold. And so I'm always kind of have to, at one point, abandon the ship and uh, go to my dad's place and then visit him for a couple of weeks and then go on my trip. Hmm.
1: All right. <clears throat> um, one of the questions that we like to ask is sort of a splurgy, or, or if you're splurgy or stingy, Um, I have a feeling that, I mean, stingy might not be the right word. I don't mean to say it in a derogatory way. You're just, I feel like, pretty budget conscious in in your day-to-day life. Do you carry that over when you're traveling? Or is it kind of your time to just let loose and you go all out because you've lived such a sort of disciplined life uh, during the summer months?
2: Uh, Yeah, like, I think um, it's funny. Like, I'll say, the short answer is, I'm, sp- uh, I'm splurgy when it comes to trips, memories, activities, adventures, things like that, uh, experiences, am stingy when it comes to consumer goods, food, housing, and transportation. Um, to give you some examples, like when I, and I am stingy, I guess you could say when I travel, I try to keep to my budget of about $50 a day, which is really easy. I think usually I can do about 25 bucks a day when I'm traveling. Um, uh, and I think, yeah, you know, I'll give you some examples. Like I remember I was in, uh, KL Kuala Lumpur, which is the capital of Malaysia. And I like arrived there from South Korea at like 1130 PM at night. And, uh, I took the bus, the local bus from the air uh, airport to the center of the city. And then I had about a 30 minute walk from there. And there was a taxi driver right beside me. And I was trying to negotiate the price down from like, I think it was $10 down to $5 and he wouldn't budge. And I was like, I'm not paying $10 just around the corner. So I ended up walking with my 14 kg backpack on, uh, with like 30 Celsius temperatures at 1130 at night in this big city. Uh, and about five, 10 minutes into the walk, I instantly regretted my decision. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I was like, I should have paid five, 10 bucks. And, uh, so there's moments where I'm stingy for no good reason. And then, uh, but then I also use couchsurfing a lot and couchsurfing is this app online that you can use that connects travelers with locals and you can, yeah, stay, I've heard of that. you can stay at home at their homes and stuff like that. And uh, for free, and they'll, uh, if they have time, show you around their, their local community. Um, so I've used that through various countries, uh, you know, and some are nicer experiences than others um and obviously- yeah sorry i
0: gotta i gotta know i'm so curious what is the <laughs> like craziest thing that's happened to you uh as a result of using this couch sharing app
2: well or cou- the- couch
0: sharing couch surfing is that what it is yeah, couch, surfing?
2: couch surfing is the app um the the craziest positive experience i've had was i was in india in jaipur uh which is near kind of new delhi and agra uh I um, applied for this guy. Uh, I asked him if I could stay at his place and he messaged me back saying, yeah, absolutely. Um, my family owns uh, a hotel and, uh, you can stay and have a night in my, uh, you have some nights in my hotel. So I ended up getting to stay in like a, what, you know, I consider a normal hotel in can- in Canada for three nights for absolutely free. Uh, and got free coffee. You know, That's made- incredible. Made my bed, like, you know, I had a fridge, you know, uh, a microwave, everything, and uh, didn't want anything in return, just was happy to help. Uh, So, (laughs) Just your phone number. (laughs) Yeah, that was a great experience, um, you know, that I got. Uh, But then there's other experiences. Like I I couch surfed in Bangladesh uh, in the capital of Dhaka, and that's one of the most densely populated, if not the most densely populated cities in the world. I think it's like 50 million or 60 million people living in one city, Uh, something crazy like that. And, uh, it's extreme poverty. No one goes there. Like I, for the whole three weeks that I was in that country, I was the only white person that I saw or any foreigner other than a few UN workers. And, uh, walking down the streets, you'd have like 30 people follow you watching what you're doing. Cause, uh, you're just so alien to their, their world that they just don't, they just want to know who you are and what you're doing. And yeah. uh, when I stayed in that city, I stayed at the university of Dhaka's. uh, um, uh, dormitories, uh, with this student, uh, uh, what was his name? Um, I forgot. It was, I think it was Muhammad, but, uh, anyways, he let me stay in his, uh, his dorm room. He had a spare, uh, mat and, uh, I slept uh, on a mat with no blanket, no pillow for three nights while I was there. And, uh, it was, uh, really bad hide, hide, like just no hygiene, no hygienic, like the bathrooms were never cleaned. They were, it was an old 18th century British building. Um, uh, power would go out constantly. Uh, there was mosquitoes uh, and uh, oh, those know, mosquitoes
1: probably are carrying some interesting diseases too.
2: Yeah. So like it was a good experience. Like they were really nice and I, I would love to stay with them and visit them again. But I, I mean, most people would not want to subject themselves to such conditions when traveling on vacation. Uh, and uh also, like other places, like I've shared single, like twin beds with people, uh, like multiple people. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, like three people in one bed. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I just met like them like two hours ago in a new city. So, like, you know, you just, Jeez. You know, I'm not saying like you don't have to accept those places. You don't have to, like, on the websites and on the people's profiles, they'll explain the living situation. Uh, but me, is that
1: explained that you'd have to sleep on the on a single bed with like three yeah. other people on the website? Yeah. Or is that a surprise once you get there?
2: Well, he it said it was shared accommodations like on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Literally, that's way to put it. <laughs> so, you tell me like what that meant. I, I didn't know if it meant like, you know, I was just sleeping on his couch. And he was very cool. Like he said, like, I could sleep uh, on the couch in the living room if I wanted to. But the mosquitoes were so bad that I was like, now nah, I'm sleeping with you because – I don't want to get bit all night. And uh so he had a netting over his bed, so uh I chose to do that. Um but yeah. Damn. Thanks, thanks Noble for wow. are listening. You're 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 a champ. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that sounds so interesting. That is so foreign <laughs> from what I'm used to. Yeah. I, I I just bought a new bed frame and I would not give it up for anything. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, yeah. And I think what blows my mind so much about traveling is just how nice people are when you meet them. Like, I especially Bangladesh, I think that's what really stands out in terms of its hospitality because so few people go there. So, when I was going, like, I'd get free meals. Like, people uh, at the other table across from me would pay for my meal at a restaurant. Uh, I would wash markets and people would give me free tea and free free fruits. And and like, they would invite me into their houses for tea and say, do you need a place to stay? Do you need help with anything? Like, uh, so nice. And like, I think that is kind of an experience that I've had all throughout my travels is that in any country, there's so many nice people uh, to meet.
1: And I I hate to ask this question, because I feel like um, this is sort of exposing my slightly pessimistic view of, of things. But when these people were doing all these nice things, did you ever feel as though it was like motivated by, um, you know, some expected reciprocity? Like, were they expecting something in return or were they just always doing these things just like out of the goodness of their heart or was it always sort know. of like, like followed up with like, Oh, also, can you do this? If I do that for you?
2: No, I think it's truly out of the goodness of their heart. Cause, uh, and I can't say like, that'll be everyone's experience. Like there's always those few bad apples. I don't mm. take advantage of websites like these. But um the thing is when you go on to couchsurfing, uh both parties can leave a review of the other uh anonymously and then oh, okay. uh, you can review people who have stayed with them in the past and then decide right. on whether or not you feel comfortable staying with them. Um and uh like I remember like I like begged them to let me pay for meals and begged them to like let me like pay for a taxi ride or whatever that we shared to go to some historical site in their city, and more times than not, they refuse for me to pay. So like, and coming from a Western country, knowing how much they make, uh, you get really humbled by it. And I feel like for them, uh, especially in Muslim uh, majority countries, you know, guests are God or considered God, and uh, they want it's a, it's an insult to to uh, not accept a cup mm-hmm. of tea or what have you, uh, than it is to, you know, to offer something to them in return. Um, I always try to bring something, uh, for my guests, uh, as a, as a thank you, I think that's kind of a good practice to give some kind of gift. Uh, yeah. usually I give, uh, candy. So like all before the trip starts, I'll, uh, I like to bring, um, maple candies because they're hard candies and they're kind of Canadian and Uh, I'm always excited. And it's something small that I can carry and get onto planes and things like that with no trouble. So I'll do that uh, most times if I have some.
1: That's that's actually a really good uh, top tip for Canadian travelers going to to those kinds of countries. I feel like that's such a good idea.
2: Yeah, yeah. Kids love it. And honestly, I remember I gave a bunch to uh, some South Korean tourists when I was in Russia and they were like taking selfies and Snapchats and things like that with uh, the candies. It was so funny to watch.
1: (laughs) Just really quickly, before we sort of go back on the on the more money-oriented questions, how was Russia? I've heard some things that, you know, paint it to be this really poor um, poor country. But how, how are your experiences with it?
2: Yeah, in terms of its, like, economic status and stuff, um, it's pretty extravagant when you're in cities like St. Petersburg or Moscow. Uh, they're like any big metropolitan city. Uh, you'll see Rolls Royces and some sweet cars go by. And uh, they're absolutely stunning in winter during the Christmas holidays. Um, Moscow and St. Petersburg are both lit up with all these Christmas lights. Highly recommended to go there in the winter. And I feel like you miss out on all the crowds when you go in the winter wintertime. Uh, people are super friendly once you start talking to them. They do have kind of a stern face. But, you know, everyone wants the exact same thing. They're really nice. I didn't feel threatened or scared at any time. I'm pretty smart and kind of well experienced traveler now. So I kind of know not to go out too late at night. If I you don't have absolute confidence that the city is safe. And uh, I think Russia is a really cool experience. It is difficult to get into it. It costs like $300 Canadian to get the uh, visa and you have to but show just exactly just to travel just to travel there. The visa costs 300 bucks. And then oh my God. And in order to go, you have to show exactly where you are every single day and how you're getting between them. Um, so it is expensive place in some regards. Um, like the train ticket across Russia, cause I took the trans Siberian railway was like a four or five day trail train ride. Uh, yeah. that was like 1300 Canadian, uh, for a second tier ticket. And, wow. um, I think it was like 750 for a third tier where you share a train cart with about 36 people. Um, but um, but it's, it can be intimidating. Like like um, like I remember I got drunk with some Russian police officers on the train. Uh, I was sitting in the train cart having a beer, and they came up, and then they started ordering vodka, and then they started getting rowdy, and then throwing glasses of vodka on the ground. And like you could definitely tell the train cart, um, con- conductor, or whatever the uh, the waitress uh, <laughs> was freaking out. And uh, there a policemen
1: doing this.
0: The, the the Russian policemen are getting drunk on the train yeah, you know, and smashing glasses
2: they're like oh, this one guy he's sitting beside me he's pulling me into him really close like face to face super close and he's like he's like gay bad and like in a russian accent and i'm like uh, oh oh yeah yeah gay bad meat Because it's like, it's, like they're, it's, it's, their, they're, uh, it's illegal to be um to be uh, gay and obviously i don't have anything against um uh, uh, being gay but uh when you're surrounded by russian police in their country who <laughs> yeah. to, uh, yeah. reviews and disagree with them with everything they say
1: <laughs> oh jeez yeah i would be so scared
2: of that yeah. yeah i got free vodka though so i mean hey they're they're, they're <laughs> very, very <nice. laughs>
1: what a thing to say when you're drunk like you like it's such a <laughs> like if if that's what's going through your mind, I feel like you're repressing something. You know. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. So, so I, got right. videos,
2: I have videos of the experience of us eating uh, like this slimy cold fish and drinking vodka on the train. I'll uh, maybe I'll send you a copy of it so you can.
1: Yeah, we can we can add it to the show notes. <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll run some uh, run some of the audio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the show that's amazing. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, overall, you've had like a really positive experience traveling. And, you know, obviously you'd you run into some uh, hiccups and uh, yeah. and speed bumps and all that. Uh, can you tell us of a time if, if this has happened to you where you have been like actually scammed financially or uh, maybe taken advantage of financially in some way during your travels or just uh, in general, you know, at home?
2: Yeah. Like it's for a the amount of times I've been scammed is, is just unbelievable. And that's not to say, like, I've made so many mistakes traveling. I probably made every mistake possible in in the book um, and in life probably uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> in terms of scams though, tr- while traveling, like uh, some that like stick out, like I would say, I remember one time in Egypt, um, I think, First off, all taxi drivers are most likely a scam artist. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> <Asian> <laughs> when, uh, when I was in Egypt, like I was in Luxor where and I wanted to go to Luxor Temple and uh the taxi driver uh took me to Luxor Street, which is like basically in the opposite direction of the of the city, and uh and then demanded me paying for the ride and sticking me in a place where no one would want to be. And so that was a scam, uh, taking my money. Um and, uh, I was in Saigon in, uh, South Vietnam. And, uh, I remember I became friends with another tourist who was an American from Philadelphia. And he said that he was, um, I forget how we became friends. And then about two weeks into the trip, uh, he said that he was having money problems or I forget how it happened. And I said, I'd loan him 50 bucks and he could pay me and transfer the money, uh, the money because he lost his wallet or something. And, uh, sure enough, he never transferred the money. So I got scammed from another tourist, uh, which was pretty devastating. Um, I was in, uh, Nepal and I was, uh, needing a haircut. So I was in this like small little lakeside village or city, uh, called Pokhara in Nepal. And I went to get a haircut and, uh, you know, you don't expect a haircut to be more than a couple dollars in these countries. And, uh, so I just asked for a haircut and then he asked if, uh, he started like, giving me a back massage and a neck massage. And um, (laughs) uh, he asked if I wanted to wash my hair and then he blow dried my hair and styled it. And you you don't, normally you don't expect to pay extra for uh, for a few of these things. And anyways, he afterwards showed me this like board that he had hid with all the pricing and he charged you to, to wash your hair. And then there was a charge for blow drying your hair and then a charge for styling your hair and then a charge for, doing all these like little tiny things (laughs) that were a part of the base price. And it came out to being like $36 he wanted from me. And I was like, no way I'm paying 36 bucks for that. And so I gave him 20 and walked away. (laughs) And uh, because you had to be there, it was a scam in, in a lot of ways. He took advantage of me. So that sucks. And then I think one that was pretty funny that happened at the end of my last trip, I was in India and uh i was walking in these tight alleyways in verdavan which is like a city between agra and new delhi uh and there's thousands of these uh monkeys that live in the city and they'll steal sunglasses hats anything that they can grab and then they'll climb up on the side of the buildings and wait until you throw up a banana to them or a juice box or some kind of snack and then they'll throw wow. you back
0: you got uh, scammed by animals, bro. <laughs> oh my god.
2: The animal the, the an- <laughs> oh my god. I have it on video. So I'm I'm so I'm vlogging uh, with my GoPro walking through the alleyway and then a monkey. So I was walking walking through this alleyway in India and vlogging and um all of a sudden a cow with this horn like rams me in my shoulder. I have it on video uh, it knocks me over. I go to the corner of this wall. And then within two seconds, my hat gets ripped off my head by a monkey. And then <laughs> I'm like, what the heck's going on? I'm getting attacked here. And then I uh, go and then on the side of these roads are locals and they sell bananas for about five cents a piece. And I honestly think monkeys are in works with the with the with the guy selling bananas because they're <laughs> each other. And you go and you buy a banana, and then you have to like throw the banana up to the monkey, and then he'll throw wow. you back. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So
0: honestly, I I would do that. I, I would I would willingly be scanned just just to see that because that sounds amazing. <laughs> monkey well played yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. outstanding yeah. move <laughs> yeah. that's amazing yeah. Yeah. on that on that topic tay is like what's the? W- can you think of something like the dumbest thing that you've ever bought or the stupidest thing that you've ever spent
2: money on uh it's hardest thing i okay so i think i have one regret of money that i didn't spend that i wish i had spent and then i'll tell you one I'll tell you something i Regret. I'm trying to think now because it's hard. Um, I really don't have too much in terms of uh, regretful purchases. I uh, I do get in hobbies and when I get into a hobby, I tend to buy too much of it uh, or get too invested in it. Um, for instance, like I'm really into paintball. So in the summer, every Sunday or every other Sunday, I go paintballing. And uh, I have like five guns, paintball guns, and I maybe use two of them. So I think I regret purchasing the other three guns <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> really, know. Uh, but you know, you get excited and you want something new. And uh, but in traveling, like, I don't know, like um, I, there's not too many things that I regret purchasing. Um, I regret uh, not purchasing uh, the opportunity to fire an RPG. So I was in Cambodia and I was talking to this military guy, basically. And uh, he was going to take me, into the jungle of Cambodia and we were going to shoot guns, uh, and an RPG seven. And, uh, it was going to cost like 500 bucks for the RPG round, like one
1: Holy. shot.
2: And I was like so close to doing it. And then I bailed and I so regret not doing it. Like, I wish I had done it. Um, they like you'll fire an RPG at like a can, like a bunch of oil cans or a hut or something. And, uh, empty.
0: <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap.
2: <laughs> so, uh- <laughs> that's, not,
0: that's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. So like hardcore just like oh yeah you can just spend $500 and blow up a hut. That's insane. Pretty
2: reasonable. <laughs> pretty reasonable. I mean I looked online try to get some uh an idea of how much this would cost and uh 500 bucks is pretty pretty good price for an RPG shop. <laughs> <laughs> <So, Damn.
0: laughs> tate's window shopping for rpg uh experiences (laughs) uh to any of our listeners out there in cambodia or otherwise uh tate would like to shoot an rpg sometime (laughs) Get in contact with him at tateoneal at (laughs) gmail.com
2: okay (laughs) exactly no i um because it's like one of those things it's like when are you gonna have the opportunity to fire an rpg ever again and absolutely so and it's not like um like you can in Cambodia, and I hate to say this, you can shoot a cow or you can shoot chickens. Uh, but like that's terrible, and I obviously don't condone that. And it is kind of a moral aspect where you're basically buying it from the military, uh, and then the military <laughs> has the money. So I'm not saying it's like, you know, the most ethical thing by any sense. Yeah,
1: perfectly um, ethical. <laughs> This, but, is, this is a horrible question to ask, and yeah. and like I really do not respect anybody that that shoots a cow or whatever. But how much does it cost to shoot a cow in Cambodia? I didn't ask
2: um, because I wasn't interested. But like I think I was watching a video that Vice had done, and uh, I think it was like five hundred US or six hundred US for the cow.
1: Jesus! Like yeah. Oh my God! Can you shoot the cow with RPG? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's terrible. It's um,
1: oh my uh, god! I'm laughing because of how absurd it is, but that is really yeah.
0: It, it's so foreign of an idea to like blow up a cow.
2: Imagine if you missed. With- <laughs> 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 okay, here's
0: another six hundred.
2: <laughs> Let me have another shot at this. <laughs> oh wow.
0: my god, that's so, incredible.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I didn't do it. I want to reiterate that I did not. I did not do it, and I didn't Ooh, plan yeah. on doing it, uh, but it was offered to me. Um, do
0: you, Do you ever think that like Jeffrey Epstein would have like bought a, a wagyu cow to blow up oh. just just because, just because it's the the cow itself is worth like one hundred twenty thousand dollars?
2: Oh, like that. that's the absurd thing about wealth inequality is that when you have billions of dollars, you your perception and your your ego. Well, I know I would change if I had that much money. I just
0: uh, yeah. I'm not oh, you know, I would, I would absolutely change if I had that much. And honestly, that brings us perfectly to our kind of, uh, you know, one of our final recurring questions is: if you had one million dollars, what would you do with it?
2: Uh, yeah. So, if I had a million bucks right now, I would. I'd probably give five hundred thousand away to family and friends. I um. Wouldn't give it equally, uh, based off, no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I would, yeah, but I would, uh, I would definitely give away half of it to the family and friends, uh, who have supported me over the years and, uh, and everything. And, um, I think a hundred thousand would go to a down payment on uh rental property. Uh, like maybe I'd not a hundred thousand dollars completely on the down payment, but I'd have a slush fund left over for expenses and, uh, and, and mortgage and repairs and such. Um, I would then spend $100,000 on stock market investments, but I'd probably wait a few years uh, to see how things go because uh, I do expect a, a second market crash uh, coming because of COVID and the uh, the blown-up uh, prices. Uh, and then I'd pay the $20,000 I owe on my student loan off. $25,000 I would buy a yurt uh, or a Mongolian Gur. It's a nomadic home. Uh, that I slept in when I was in Mongolia and uh, you can live in it during minus 30 weather and it can be set up in a day and it would be an upgrade from the trailer that I'm living in currently. Uh, and then, or that, or I, instead of a yurt, I would buy a yacht or like a, like a small $30,000, 28 foot, 30 foot yacht. And then. Yeah. I, I want
0: to boat so badly too.
2: <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't quit my job too. Like I would just live on the sailboat in the Marina in Kingston and then, you know, work at my landscaping job and then travel in the winter as usual. And, uh, and then I'd buy a new motorcycle. I'd upgrade the motorcycle to probably like a 650 GS BMW or something, something sweet. And then, uh, I don't know, then $5,000 maybe just would go towards like iPads and random little things that I might have. So I'd have like probably like $225,000 left over in cash just, you know maybe for future investments or to buy like land for my yurt of my own or something along those lines that's nice it. so
1: the the whole concept of living nomadically or living with within sort of minimal means is that's something that you want to do long term it sounds like
2: yeah like i think for me it's like um i think one thing that i found that was really weird about like normal society uh that kind of made me take a second pause was this whole idea of uh, owning your own home and having a, um, a huge mortgage and stuff and investing all of your money into one thing. Um, I think it's better for me personally, I can make more money long run if I have my entire living situation paid off completely. So I have no, no mortgage right off the bat. And then yeah. instead of the money that I would put towards, um, a more, uh, you know, paying off mortgage or paying off rent, I would invest in the stock market. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just think that there's a lot more opportunity in, um, growing your, your, uh, your wealth that way.
1: Yeah. When you, when you invest, do you mostly do individual stocks or like ETFs or do you like, what is your portfolio without going too much into detail, obviously, but like broadly, how, how do you invest right now?
2: Yeah. I think everyone's strategy strategy is fundamentally going to be slightly different. Uh, I don't think everything works. And I think it depends on how much time and effort you put in, in keeping up and researching various companies. Um, I would say for the early investor, uh, starting off uh, with you know ETFs, uh, high dividend stocks, uh, or just mutual funds uh, is probably the best way uh, just to get your feet wet. And the hardest part is just starting. Uh, and uh, putting your money into those is probably the best because um, the lack of responsibility you have in monitoring various companies and their profitability. Um, but I think when you fundamentally know something's going to work and something is a good investment, I say just go for it and invest in that company directly. It's so often you're going to make a better return. Uh, and uh, I really am a proponent of Warren Buffett's philosophy of uh, buy and hold. Uh, and uh, that's kind of been my strategy. I do have family members that are day trading yeah. like that. And I just feel like it takes too much effort and too much time and too much stress uh, for me to, to try myself. And, uh, you know, maybe 20 years in the future when I have a better understanding of of markets and how things work, uh, I might be interested in in dabbling in that. But for the most part, I just buy and hold. Uh, And I think, um, yeah, it just all depends on the company. I think, you know, when it comes to the marijuana industry, because it's so hard to decide on which company is going to succeed and which one's not, an ETF might be more advantageous because at least you're going to be hedging your bets on the various companies rather than just one. Uh, but then, you know, on something that's more, more solidified and a little bit more for sure, like Amazon or Google or any of these blue chip stocks, blue chip stocks, I would recommend just investing directly with, but that's kind of been my general st- general strategy when it comes to investing.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, I, I think, uh, I, I think it's really great that you're investing and I, I think it's really great. that we have someone on the podcast talking about investing and um you know we we it's really great for us because we get an inside look at what you know our guests are investing in and, and thinking about in terms of money so you know that that's really helpful to our listeners to us to everyone so we really appreciate you talking about that and that's awesome
2: yeah no problem no problem i'd love to come back and talk about it more if you ever want to
1: for sure Absolutely. Learn more about the cambodia prices of shooting things <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah we need to
1: do a deep dive investigation on that one. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah you can shoot anything and i just i worry though that was another concern just to add is uh all the weaponry and bullets and hand grenades that you were gonna throw uh are all from like the 1980s and like 1970s and that was another kind of concern of mine was the safety of the actual ammunition and back. Yeah. And so who knows
0: if it's going to blow up in your hand or something yeah, like
2: that. We had just so much from this, you know, the Vietnam war left over, and then the Khmer Rouge and the revolution that happened in, in Cambodia during the 1980s. So um, yeah, it's just uh, you just have to be very careful, I guess, when you make those decisions.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um one one more question that we like to ask uh, I guess as like a recurring segment is how would a $1,000 unexpected expense affect you right now?
2: Uh yeah, like um it wouldn't affect me a whole lot uh because I'm on salary and I kind of budget myself and stick to my budget fairly well. Um it wouldn't really affect me all that much. Like I have like a $6,000 line of credit on my credit card and I have a few thousand dollars saved up right now. And, uh, you know, I always try to keep a float of a few thousand dollars for the most part. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't affect me that much, but I might be the anomaly at my age because, uh, my expenses are so low. And, uh, when I do spend money, it's typically in places that don't cost a whole lot.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. And the, and the fact that you, you, you own your home, right? Like, uh, yeah, the fact that you don't have recurring rent payments—that uh, that's a large percentage of most people's income, right? So, the fact that you invested and put your put your uh, down payment on your um, your Dutchman—is that what it's called?
2: Um, Dutchman. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think that you know really lends itself to the the financial stability or the kind of safety net um, that you have. That that sounds really great.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, like it's uh, it's definitely a learning experience. And I'm not saying that I'll want to live this lifestyle my entire life. You know, who's to say? But at this point in my life, you know, uh, being single and not having any dependents or anything like kids, um, it works for me. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, keep on working with what I have.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't think I don't think... Uh, Most wifey's are going to be happy with pooping in a compostable, (laughs) compostable toilet. But you know what? Changing it. There's someone out there for every toilet.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, if if there any single ladies are listening and uh, they're interested in a nice clean (laughs) toilet bucket, you know, they can they can get in touch. (laughs) Hey,
0: hey, we can shoot a cow with an RPG by day and then we can sleep. (laughs) share a single by night exactly. <laughs> and, and <laughs> exactly, i'll make you a nice dinner and then you can poop it out in this, uh, <laughs> this compostable
2: Over. yeah 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 it's, uh, hey, it's, all, it's all earth friendly i'm uh i'm doing doing everything to be environmentally friendly and financially secure
0: no okay. absolutely I, I joke but uh it sounds like you know general uh, genuinely, you just have your shit together. Um, you really have a handle on your finances and, uh, you live like such an interesting life. It was honestly su- such a pleasure to listen to your stories and kind of get a deeper insight into, you know, how you go about day-to-day life with your finances. So
1: yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and we really appreciate like the uh, the attention to detail with with all the budgeting and things like that. I think that that's really what we're we're trying to go for. So it was really really awesome to have Yeah. You. Yeah, yeah your was- an- your answer with the budget,
0: you were so detailed. That's like that's so great for anyone who's listening to kind of like, you know, for, for people to compare themselves and kind of see you know, where am I at in terms of other people? So I I think these kinds of things aren't talked about enough. And it's just great that you came on and and talked about that stuff openly with us. So we'd like to thank you for that again.
2: And if I could just say like, maybe just like one closing remark, um, I think like with the traveling and my experiences and the people I've met, I can honestly say with no doubt that a person's uh, value isn't based off of their wealth, you know? And, uh, I think that's one problem that I have with society today and in the capitalist environment is that people tend to associate someone's wealth, uh, uh, or tend to associate someone's, um, value as an individual based off of their income and, uh, and their, you know, uh, career options or what have you. And uh, I think that's further from the truth, furthest from the truth. I think I've met the nicest people and the most hospitable people and intelligent people have sometimes been the guys that, you know, sell oranges on the street or are uh, carpenters or hardworking individuals that are just trying to make it by in less fortunate situations than those uh, otherwise.
1: That's a beautiful note to end on. That's very- yep,
0: that's an incredible message.
1: All right. Well, on that note, uh, we'll see you then or we'll see you in another time.
0: Thanks, guys.